Hey, if you're interested in learning more about how cutting-edge technologies like natural language processing can help automate your security response, you might want to register for our November 28th webinar sponsored by the firm Empow. I'll be speaking with Empow founder and CEO Avi Chesla about how natural language processing technology can be used to break out of the SIM big rules paradigm. To register, just point your web browser to securityledger.com slash no rules. One word, securityledger.com slash no rules. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's podcast episode number 122. Major telecommunications carriers like to talk up the advantages of so-called 5G connectivity to their customers. Videos will stream much faster over cellular networks to mobile devices like smartphones and tablets. Mobile and web-based applications will grow to support more robust features that the increased cellular bandwidth can accommodate. But what about the Internet of Things? Many IoT endpoints today, from cars to surveillance cameras, communicate using 4G, LTE, or even 3G networks. With the arrival of 5G, what new kinds of Internet of Things use cases may become possible? And, just as important, what are the security implications of massively distributed Internet of Things endpoints with capacious 5G cellular connections? That's a question we asked our next guest, Jason Ortiz of the firm Pondurance, a penetration testing firm based in Indianapolis. Ortiz, who works as a senior integration engineer, said that 5G networks will narrow today's distinctions between wired wireless and cellular networks, and because of that, they'll become appealing to a much wider array of endpoints than existing LTE networks. And that's going to pose a major challenge to organizations that want to monitor their networks for suspicious or malicious activities that might be emanating from Internet of Things devices. In this conversation, Jason and I talk about how the advent of 5G cellular networks might exacerbate Internet of Things security woes. We also talk about whether the hype about 5G and the Internet of Things might be overblown. Jason Ortiz, Senior Integration Engineer at Ponderance. So Ponderance is a full-service cybersecurity firm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, and we do just about everything, kind of runs the gambit of cybersecurity services all the way from you know very basic entry-level pen tests to full-on red teaming and threat hunting and response. Uh, 5G is going to have a huge impact on a lot of things, not just the Internet of Things, but especially the Internet of Things. You know, we're going to see, obviously, 5G brings a lot higher, um, you know, connectivity, faster networks, you know, more stable connections, things like that. So what we're going to start to see is going to see a lot of uh, IoT devices directly connecting to 5G networks instead of through a traditional Wi-Fi network. So that'll make them, of course, harder to monitor, especially for home and small business users. You may have um, sensors, cameras, things like that directly connecting through 5G instead of through your your router. Um, And essentially, you would have you know, very limited or no visibility at all into the network communications for those particular devices. Um, We're also going to see as as more and more of those things get connected, they're going to have a more powerful, you know, network connection. They're going to be faster, which means you're going to need fewer of them to perform something like a DDoS, like what we saw with the Mirai network. Um, You're going to need fewer and fewer devices as those devices have more and more, you know, powerful network connections. Today, when we talk about Internet of Things devices, you know, smart town, uh, smart infrastructure, uh, maybe smart vehicle type solutions, 
how are they connecting to the internet and uh, maintaining persistent connection to the internet generally? Yeah, generally today, most of those things are connecting via LTE. Of course, that'll change in, in the future with 5G um, and the rollouts there. We've actually had a 5G rollout begin in Indianapolis already, and we're seeing a whole bunch of those sorts of sensors and things stood up around the city uh, to leverage that capability. So, you know, we're going to see that predominantly, especially with things, you know, like a car. You can imagine it, it's pretty tough to use anything else. You're not going to always be in range of a Wi-Fi router or anything like that. So as those devices become more mobile, you know, more ubiquitous, we're going to see that that uptick for sure. So with 5G, obviously, it supports much greater bandwidth than LTE. I'm guessing that's going to enable much fatter IoT applications and data transfers, so kind of richer functionality. One thing you've pointed out is that from a security standpoint, that could also really impact things like IoT-based denial of service attacks, right? So more more access to bandwidth makes you a more powerful node in a botnet. Yeah, absolutely. And we're already starting to see uh, some of the shift to more computing on the edge you know, to get out in front of this um, sort of network power. You know, if you think about your cell phone, your your iPhone, your your Android, right now it's it's actually a pretty dumb device. If it's not connected to the internet, there's very little you can do with it. But uh, we're seeing a shift in that. We're seeing a shift is, you know, more powerful hardware, you know, more capabilities on the edge. Um, and the reason is because the cost of, you know, shipping those computations and that data back to the cloud is going to get less and less as we see this sort of rollout. You mentioned the difficulty that enterprises have monitoring devices that might be cellular connected uh, within their environment. Does 5G really change that in any fundamental way, or is it pretty much the same problem that you have with LTE connected devices, just obviously, again, fatter pipes, uh, more opportunities for things like data exfiltration and things like that? Yeah, definitely more along the lines of the latter. I mean, we're going to see just kind of depending on the the quality of the entire network region, et cetera, you're going to see anywhere from 15 to 50% increases as far as the abilities of those those pipes, for lack of a better word. So one thing we hear about 5G and IoT is, you know, a lot of people sort of saying this might not happen because, you know, 5G, while powerful, and it's also very likely to be uh, power hungry on the endpoint, and that for many, many Internet of Things uh, solutions, that's going to be a deal breaker. They're going to look for much lower power requirements. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do we think that 5G is actually going to be something that many IoT vendors are looking to use? That's actually a great question. Um, If you consider the sorts of quote-unquote IoT things that we're talking about here as far as connecting to 5G, you know, the, the power issues are not, you know, going to be that noticeable down the road. Uh, when you talk about a phone, obviously, you know, that's one thing. You've got a, a pretty limited battery storage there, and, and draining the battery quickly is not good usability. But when you're talking about a car, you're not really concerned about that that extra boost in power. The car is more than capable of connecting that way. Same is true for any sort of industrial equipment, you know, some of those larger quote unquote IoT devices, you know, I think they won't be very concerned about that extra power consumption. Whereas some of the lower end, some of the individual user based phone, individual sensors in the home, that sort of thing are going to probably continue to be connected through a more traditional Wi-Fi network, to be honest, especially when they're, you know, in and around a particular uh, Wi-Fi networks at home. 
network. So there have been some alternative protocols floated for IoT. Um, I think there's this one called CAT NB1 that uh, different providers, Verizon and others, are looking to deploy specifically for Internet of Things. Does that, again, um, more of the same in terms of security risk there or, or not? Yeah, you're still looking at the same general security risk. You know, a lot of that risk is on the edge. Um, for for CatMB1 and some of those alternative ideas, you know, I think that's mainly from what I've seen so far geared toward utilities, the electrical companies, the smart meters, right. um, the things like that to try and get them away from the current implementation, which is essentially um, a mesh network where there's you know there's some relay on a pole somewhere in your neighborhood that that basically controls all of the connectivity from everyone's device to the cloud. So trying to move away from that, I haven't seen any sort of CatMB1 plans to roll a full out to mobile phones and things like that. I don't think that that's necessarily in the in the cards. I mean that answer in itself raises one of the big problems, which is like you know we kind of talk monolithically about the Internet of Things, but there are all different kinds of Internet of Things deployments and endpoints from, as you said, smart vehicles or smartphones to the smart meter or light post or in-pavement road sensor that is a much simpler and more specific type of endpoint. You know, you do a lot of pen testing and red teaming from the defender's standpoint. What do you really need to be worried about as these new, more capable IoT networks start to pop up and blink online? Yeah, well, the, the amazing thing and kind of the fascinating thing about IoT and, and all of those different types of quote-unquote IoT that you mentioned is that it expands the threat surface to essentially the largest threat surface we've ever seen. You know, there was a time and day where we could physically secure servers. You know, we still do that at data centers. They're behind locked doors. Access is pretty restricted. Physical access is pretty restricted. All of that is gone in IoT. You know, we we used to talk in the security industry, we used to talk about protecting or guarding the perimeter. And, and now we don't even know where the perimeter is. Or even if you consider the home PC, physical access is still relatively difficult compared to um, the IoT environment with things connected everywhere on every street corner, you know, outside with essentially free physical access. So I think that that's one of the things that um, some more, you know, industrial citywide type of IoT vendors should be concerned with is, you know, what sorts of things can be done with physical access. You know, in addition to that, you have all of the traditional security concerns. You have, of course, firmware and software and you know, a lot of IoT devices aren't capable of authentication, or if they are, it's it's weak authentication. And so then you don't have, you know, encrypted communication. So then you kind of roll back on the traditional network vulnerabilities from there. And you still have to solve all of those problems that, that we've solved for, you know, more powerful things like a laptop or a home computer. So flipping it around and looking at it from, instead of from the defender's perspective, but from the uh, manufacturer's perspective, what... Um, what are some of the security concerns you should have as you're developing and deploying these IoT products? What types of things can you do to harden those deployments? And are there any particular advantages at any of these nascent wireless networks? Are there any inherent benefits that, that they have security-wise, either over LTE or, or over each other? You know, every different implementation brings new challenges to solve. Um, so where you may gain in one area, you kind of lose in another area. From the vendor's perspective, so far, I think what we've seen is 
and, and this shouldn't really be surprising in a capitalist economy. But what we've seen is that you know security related to IoT devices is entirely market driven. As long as consumers are willing to buy cheaper insecure devices, aka not you know they don't want to pay extra for a more secure device, we're going to continue to see you know a lot of these same exact problems persist. Market demand for more secure devices is the number one way to get vendors interested in in security. So. I think over time, just like with the PC, you know, we'll see more and more of that being pressed and more and more consumers demanding, you know, secure devices in their homes and their cars and their places of work. Um, and that'll be the number one thing that really pushes those vendors toward, you know, more secure models, more standardization, things like that. Is there a role for the networking providers, the Verizons and AT&Ts of the world to build security in, in a way that maybe they haven't in older, slower cellular networks, or to kind of set a high bar for people who want to deploy IoT solutions on their network? Oh, there's absolutely a role for everybody. I mean, this is a going to be a huge challenge moving forward, and, and everybody that plays in the tech space in any way has some sort of security role related to these things and related to what's coming next. The challenge is going to be I think with regard to privacy, you start looking at ISPs doing a lot of whole scale monitoring, making security decisions on behalf of their users, and you start getting, you know, really into some of the gray area as far as, you know, user privacy. And that's probably a whole nother podcast. Um, but there is a fine line there as far as that is concerned. With regard to establishing some standards and, and uh, things like that as far, you know, for using the network, it's, I think that's a pretty difficult thing to control in a lot of cases. If there's, you know, some, some high-end equipment that, you know, connects directly and is managed by the ISPs or by AT&T or Verizon or whomever, then I think they could have that control. But it'll be pretty difficult, you know, for them to exhibit that level of control over home user devices and, and some of those, you know, much smaller implementations. Okay, you do pen testing at companies. I mean, there are vendors out there who offer solutions for doing, um, you know, network intrusion detection or monitoring wireless spectrum within enterprise environments, you know, looking for 802.11 devices, radio frequency devices and the like. Is that a worthwhile investment for companies at this stage or maybe something you might think about, you know, five, five years from now or 10 years from now, but not something you need now? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely a worthwhile investment. Um, you know, the number one way right now that we know of to to really detect any sort of malicious behavior with regard to IoT devices is network monitoring. There's a lot of great, you know, host protection tools out there for Mac OS and Windows and, and Linux, um, standard flavors of Linux, but we see most of those don't work on IoT devices, things that are lower power or things that have reduced privileges. So really, you know, the best thing that we've come up with so far for the majority of our customer base is some pretty strict what we call profiling. Essentially, you're profiling every single sensor, every single thing that's connected to the network, and it's not a traditional thing like a, a router or a laptop. Um, and then you're looking for abnormal behavior, essentially, what does not match the profile. And so far, that has been quite effective at finding malicious IoT activity. Okay, so before we go, you need to give us like a, a story from the trenches, like talk about uh, an engagement you had where uh, you found some suspicious slash malicious Internet of Thing type device. 
couple of years ago when I was still out in uh, the Maryland area, I was working in an IoT lab. I was running the IoT security lab for my company out there. And we had a lot of really cool kind of discoveries and, and things like that. So one of the funny stories that I like to tell everybody is uh, one day we just got interested in, in some IP cameras. Um, we went and ordered several different types. All of them were cheap, you know, very, very limited security. Um, we brought them back to our lab. And we looked at them from a physical perspective. Of course, there were, you know, JTAG, UART, you could basically plug in and, and do whatever you wanted, but we wanted to do something more interesting. So we decided on a Friday that we were just going to connect them to the internet live and record every single thing that happened over the, the course of a weekend. Um, you know, we came back on Monday and I think the, uh, the most secure of all of the cameras that we ordered and connected had seven unique pieces of malware running on it. It was so bad and (laughs) it just kept crashing and rebooting about every 12 minutes because it would run out of memory. We found, uh, you know, the video that we had running there was being streamed out to multiple different servers across the world. Uh, luckily the camera <laughs> was just pointed at a, a sticky note that said, have a nice day on it. So the video wasn't, <laughs> wasn't particularly interesting, but, um, but from that one single weekend, we collected about 30 actionable pieces of, um, you know, malware off of, you know, different variants of a lot of the same malware, but still about 30 unique pieces of malware to analyze and, and, you know, do a full report on. And, and that was literally just plugging it in and letting it run for a couple of days. Yeah, and I guess for most companies, you know, as long as the webcam or what have you continues to work for you as an organization, you know, you might not be thinking about whether it's been compromised or whether there might be malicious software running on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that goes for pretty much all of your devices. If you're not a security person, as long as things continue to work, you're probably not really investigating anything. Hey, thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Have a great day. Jason Ortiz is a senior integration engineer at the firm Pondurance. 